Amen. On Thursday evening at our preparatory service, I began by saying that the story of the Bible can be told with three trees. And we thought of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil on Thursday, and I challenged you to think for yourselves, what were the other two trees? And I don't know, maybe you've, you've got them. You can see from the sermon titles today, there are no secrets. They're all there for you. Um, today we're thinking about the tree upon which Christ died. That's the central part, the central part of the story of the Bible. For those of you that weren't there, and a reminder for all of us, even if we were there, on Thursday evening we were thinking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because that tree shows to us that God created man and set him in the Garden of Eden and put him under probation. There was a test. Would he obey? Man was in a covenant with God, the covenant of works or the covenant of life, where he was promised life, eternal life, if he obeyed, if he obeyed God perfectly. But if he had of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on the day he did that, he would die. And we know the story because that's exactly what happened. Satan came and tempted first Eve and then through her Adam, who was with her, and all mankind has fallen in this first transgression. We've been taken in by the cunning of Satan and we are now in this state of sin and misery. We've lost all original righteousness. And now we have original sin. And we have corruption. And the ground has been cursed because of our sin. And so we saw that it brought us into this tragic condition. It was the most solemn day with wide-ranging consequences for mankind. But as we saw on Thursday, there is also hope. Hope was given. Grace was announced even in the Garden of Eden. And that takes us to the second tree. And we read about there in verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now the context of this section is about submission to authority. And particularly about submitting to masters. For those who were servants or slaves. And there were many slaves in those days. Uh, but also applying to those who are employed uh, by their uh, employers. We are to be subject to those in authority. And it gives us many good principles that we could consider, and maybe we'll read some of these in a Bible class in the future as we're working our way through the fifth commandment. Um, But it's particularly the example of Christ that comes to the fore. If you look there at verse 22... And this is quoting directly from Isaiah uh, 53 that we've read as as well today. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. The thing is, when we suffer, sometimes it's our own fault, isn't it? Sometimes we get into trouble and it's because we've been too rash with our mouth. We've said things that we shouldn't have said. And because we've been so rash and we've been so careless with our words, there comes some sort of consequence. The Lord Jesus Christ never sinned. And yet, verse 23 tells us, he was reviled and he suffered. 
It's an incredible thing. Children, think about that for a moment, that the Lord Jesus Christ never sinned. It's hard for us to imagine that. Because not a day goes past in our life where we do not sin. Every day, in countless ways, we sin against God. We break a commandment. If you ever think you've gone a day without sinning, the reason you think that is either you do not know the law of God well enough, or you have too high a view of yourself, or you have far too low a view of God. If you think you've kept God's commandments perfectly, well, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. Don't be deluded. We sin day and daily more than once, more than twice, in so many ways. If you think, perhaps, that you haven't uh, transgressed God's law, you've not done something that you regret, well, how many ways have you fallen short of keeping the full standard that God's word requires of us? We break God's commandments. And yet, friends, think of this. Jesus never sinned. There was no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth, as it says there in verse 22. We've thought about deceit. We thought about it on on Thursday, about the the serpent's deceit. We thought about it through our Ephesians study. Uh, We're to put off falsehood. Jesus never once told a lie. He never once deceived anyone. In fact, what he says in John 8 is, I've, I've done it all openly. Everything that I've taught, it's been open. No sin and no deceit. If ever there was anyone in the history of this world who did not deserve to suffer, it's Jesus Christ. And yet verse 23 shows us he was reviled and he suffered. How wicked must you have been to revile the Lord Jesus Christ? To look at someone that is innocent and to mock them and verbally abuse them. How wicked. And Jesus would have been justified, would he not? To turn it around and to say to them, maybe to revile them in return because they've sinned. And yet when he was reviled, he did not revile. He did not return it. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. Here's the person, and it's interesting, they're causing Jesus to suffer when actually their life is in the hands of Jesus. Because he's God. Our our days are but a vapor. It's God who appoints when we die. Their lives, their eternal uh, condition, their souls were in Christ's hands. And they're making him suffer. He could have easily threatened them, couldn't he? He could have said, do you not know who I am? Do you not know that I hold your life in my hand? Do you not know that I could cast you into hell? And yet... When he suffered, he did not threaten. He wasn't looking at them and seeking, what can I do to put them down a peg or two? Instead, he looks to God. Verse 23, he entrusted himself. He continued entrusting himself. It's that idea of ongoing. He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He trusted in God. And there's a lesson in that. There's a moral lesson in that for us. That when we suffer as Christians, we're not to return tit for tat. 
We're not to speak out and revile in return. We're not to threaten people, but we have to simply leave it with God. We leave it with God. He will judge justly. Now, of course, there is, there is a time to defend yourself. There is a time to speak up, of course. But in this sense, when we are suffering, um, we're not to return tit for tat. Peter, who writes this epistle, had observed Jesus. He'd been with Jesus for three years. And he can write here as an eyewitness that Jesus did not sin. He had listened to Jesus. He had listened to all the public teaching of Jesus that we have recorded. Things like the Sermon on the Mount, the Discourse on the Parables, uh, and so on. No deceit. He'd also listened to Jesus' private teaching. He'd listened to Jesus' interactions with them as they ate their meals together, as they traveled along the way. And Peter writes as an eyewitness, there was nothing deceitful in his mouth. Peter was an eyewitness of his sufferings and of the glory to be revealed. And Peter saw in this man patient submission that Jesus submitted himself to this unjust, wicked treatment. And there's a practical application of that to your life and to mine, but I don't want us to look at that today because there's something more important. Christ's life is more than just an example. Now, it is an example. We shouldn't swing to the other extreme and say it's not an example. It is an example. Do you want to know, do you want to know how to live as a Christian? Look to Christ first. He will show you how to live, and that's important. But his life is more than an example. And the work that he suffered here is for our redemption. And therefore, we need to consider that. It's verse 24 that we're focusing on. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. We see here that Jesus was a sin bearer. He bore our sins. If you read the Old Testament law, as it's recounted for us in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you'll see various times in which uh, people are found in their sin and they're convicted of that sin. Uh, and the phrase that comes over and over and over again is this, he is guilty and he shall bear his own iniquity. That's used multiple times. It, the sin changes in each scenario. Uh, it may talk about adultery. It may talk about breaking the Sabbath. It may talk about all sorts of different sins. But the same phrase comes. He is guilty, and he shall bear his own iniquity. The law condemns. The law of God condemns us. The law of God points to our sin and declares that we're guilty. The law of God shows us that we bear our own iniquity. And I want you to think about that for a moment, what the implications of that are. To bear the weight of of your own sin. Think about that. You're bearing the weight of the guilt of your sin. Your guilt. That you're guilty before a holy God. And that the law of God condemns you. That you deserve to die. 
The wages of sin is death. And as we thought on Thursday, it's not simply physical death. Because on the day that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they should surely die. They didn't physically die on that day. But they spiritually died. And so there is that sense of death, that, that weight of being of spiritual death. And to think of eternal death. Wrath which is to come. The lake of fire and sulfur, as we thought about recently. The place where liars are to be cast into. Think of bearing that weight. Sin weighing you down. Guilt weighing you down. Condemnation weighing you down. Shame weighing you down. Think of a man on death row. Think of of how he's spending his last few days as he's growing near the appointed time of his execution. Psalm 38 verse 4 says, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Have Have you come to realize that? Have you come to feel that for yourself? Do you see, first of all, that you have iniquities? Do you see, first of all, that your life is twisted out of shape It's not the way God wants it to be because of your sin. Have you seen that? And then have you come to see that these iniquities have gone over your head? It's not just that there's a few wee faults here and there, mistakes that we can maybe fix. These iniquities are so many, they've gone over our head. And do you feel the weight of those? It's one thing to academically assent to these things. A child who grows up in the church could assent that iniquities, that we have many iniquities. But do you feel that? Is there a sense in which your conscience is pricked by that, affected by that, where you think it's so heavy, this burden? What am I to do with it? What must I do to be saved from this? And have you come to see that these are too heavy for me, for you? That's what the psalmist says here. It's not just simply that they're a heavy burden, but if I keep going, I can get through it. It's a heavy burden that I can't bear any longer. I need this burden off my back. If you know the story of Pilgrim's Progress, you remember how Christian, he begins to run. He tries to flee from the city of destruction, but he's bearing his burden on his back. It's a huge burden. It's weighing him down. It's holding him back. And then when he gets to that slough of despond, he falls in, doesn't he? And with a burden like that on his back, there's no hope for him getting out of it. Friends, I want you to think for a moment. You have your original sin. You're guilty of Adam's first sin. Humanity is at war with God and you're guilty of that even from the moment you're conceived. You've got the corruption of your nature that your will is, a, is twisted, it's in, enslaved to sin, your knowledge is darkened, and so on. But then you've also got on top of that all the actual sins that you as an individual commit, different from other people. You might choose to commit adultery. You might choose to tell a lie. You may choose to hate someone. You might choose to slander someone. Whatever the sin might be, unique to you, Friends, I want you to think for a moment that each one of those sins is a stone. Maybe even just a small stone. I want you to imagine that you have a backpack and all these stones are getting put into your backpack. And it's becoming a burden. 
and it's weighing you down. And I want you to imagine now that you fall into water. What happens? Nothing but your death. You drown. You can't, you can't keep afloat. You can't swim with the weight of your sins. The weight of that guilt and condemnation and iniquity. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. And they are too heavy for me. Have you seen that, friends? Have you seen that you as an individual can no longer bear your own sin? You can no longer bear the weight of that guilt. And you need someone to take the burden from you. See, we need to not only intellectually assent to it, we need to feel these things in our consciences. Because only when we feel it will we go to the solution. And that takes us back to verse 24. We do have a substitute. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. The substitute. A sin bearer in our place. That's the hope of this passage. That's the glory of it. That's the joy of it. Someone who is willing to bear our sin. In the Old Testament, the substitute was shown in the sacrifices. And when you made a sacrifice for your sin, you would lay your hands on the animal before it died. You'd lay your hands on it and you would confess your sin. And then it would be slaughtered. And the principle there is called imputation. Imputation. That is, the sin is yours. The guilt is yours. The condemnation is yours. It's your burden that's weighing you down. But you're confessing it before God. And God is allowing that to be transferred, imputed to the animal. So that the judgment comes not on you, but on the animal. The wages of sin is death, but the death doesn't come on you. It comes on the animal because that guilt has been transferred to something else, to an animal. The holiest day in the Old Testament was the Day of Atonement, the one day in a year when the high priest could enter behind the veil into the Holy of Holies. And on that day, there were two goats. One goat would be slaughtered as a sacrifice, but the second goat The high priest was to take it and he was to put both hands on the goat and confess the sins of Israel over that goat before God. And then he was to drive the goat off into the wilderness. And why was he to do that? Well, it tells us the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. The goat takes the sin away. Sin born by it look at the verse again and you see here that the fulfillment of that what that all pointed to is jesus that he himself bore our sins so that's the fulfillment we're not to continue sacrificing goats today we have the once for all sacrifice and notice there verse 24 he himself bore our sins Now, you don't need the word himself there, neither in English nor in Greek. To to say he bore our sins is grammatically correct, and it means in many ways the same thing, doesn't it? We know that it was Jesus who bore the sins of his people. That's true. But notice that word himself. It's to emphasize that it was Jesus who did this. He 
himself. And because that word himself is there, we need to take a moment and pause and meditate. Who is it that is the substitute? Who is it that is the sin bearer? It is Jesus himself. Jesus, the very Son of God. Jesus, divine. Jesus, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. Jesus, who is equal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, both in power and in glory. Jesus, God, very God. Jesus isn't less than God. Jesus wasn't created by God. He is fully God. He himself bore our sins. See, the person who has been wronged is the one who bears our sins. God who is holy, holy, holy. God who has been sinned against is the one who is willing to come and to bear our sins. But not only do we think of Jesus as being fully God, but we also need to think of him as innocent and holy as we've seen in the context He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Friends, think about that in this context. That the sin bearer is someone who does not deserve to bear this sin. The sin bearer is someone who does does not deserve any punishment from God. And yet as we read in Isaiah 53, it was the will of God to crush him. Can you think of that? The will of God to crush someone that's innocent. Now, if you heard about this, if you read it in a newspaper about an innocent person being sentenced to death, we'd be an uproar, wouldn't we? The court system's a joke, letting some innocent person suffer. And yet he himself bore our sins. Because not only does it show us uh, that it was God, not only to emphasize the fact that he was innocent, but it emphasizes his willingness in it. It wasn't that sins were just forced upon him against his will, he himself willingly, voluntarily bore our sins. And that's, he bore our sins in the widest extent, friends. He bore that original sin of Adam. That's, that's our sin that we share in. He bore that guilt. He bore the actual transgressions that we sin against him day by day. He bore that guilt that weighed us down. He bore that iniquity that was too heavy for us. He bore the wrath and curse of God that I pray none of you ever taste. He bore death. He bore it fully for his people. As it tells us, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised. For our iniquities. And we can emphasize that, that word there. He himself bore our sins. Our sins. The sins of his people. He didn't bear all sins. But he bore our sins. Our guilt. And he bore them in his own body. Why does it say here that he bore uh, our sins in his body? Because it's true that he bore our sins also in his soul. If you, you remember it when we read from Isaiah 53, so often it talked about the sufferings in his soul. It actually, 
as I read it there, I'd been thinking about that, but as I read it publicly, it stood out to me all the more. The sufferings in Christ's soul. Why does it say here he suffered in his body? Does it leave out his soul? But I think what Peter is doing here is he's not saying that Jesus didn't suffer in his soul, for of course he did. But he's emphasizing the fact that Jesus actually suffered. And he didn't just appear to suffer. There would be a, a heresy that would develop in the early church that Jesus just appeared to be a man. He just appeared to have a body. He, he was God. He just appears in this way. He doesn't really have a body. And therefore his sufferings are just the appearance of suffering. But Peter says, no, he suffered. He bore our sins in his body. And therefore he suffered physically as well as spiritually. And that takes us to the next part of the verse. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. As we think about the three trees that tell the storyline of the Bible, this is the central tree, that cross on Calvary, that cross that, that was there upon which Jesus Christ died. Why is it important to consider that tree? Well, I want you to turn with me in God's word, to Deuteronomy 21, to see this connection through the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 21. We have to realize that what Jesus suffered was because of the, the demands of the law. Deuteronomy chapter 21. And we're going to read verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> says here, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. There's a principle here about capital punishment, not a fashionable thing, uh, but there are crimes punishable by death, and it was necessary that Israel were to inflict those punishments. That's what, that was the will of God. He commands them to do it. But notice that when they put someone to death for the crime that they've committed, that person is not merely put to death by the civil magistrate. He's also cursed by God. God curses that person for their sin. And if they're hanged on a tree in that way, they're under God's curse. And then if you turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. We'll see again the demand of the law as it applies to Christ. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 10 to 14. It says here, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You see, yes, Peter will talk about this principle of Uh, Jesus being reviled and suffering at the hands of wicked men. But we see that him being on a tree is more than just suffering from men. It's becoming the curse for us. Taking on his own body the full wrath and curse of God due to us for sin. And friends, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone, if that's the simple faith that you have today, that Jesus died in my place to take away my sin. Friends, see this. Christ redeemed us from that curse because he became the curse for us. The Lord Jesus Christ bore our sins in his own body on the tree, becoming the curse for us. Friends, how willingly he went to the cross. As John tells us in his account, he bore his own cross How willingly he suffered under the wrath and curse of God. Because they reviled him at the foot of the cross saying, come down from the cross. And he remained there. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. He did it. He did it. Friends, if you're a Christian today, when you come to this meal, think of that. He laid down his life for his sheep. Greater love has no one than this. Than that someone laid down his life for his friends. He said himself, no one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. The Lord Jesus Christ, he himself became this curse for us. Because he willingly became the sin bearer. And friends, let me just... Draw this part to a close by saying this. There is a choice that we all must make. A choice. Either you bear your own sin or Christ bears it for you. There's no other way. The sin has to be borne somewhere. The guilt is somewhere. The wrath and curse of God must go somewhere. His justice demands retribution. And so, friends, either you bear your sin Or a substitute takes it away. A sin bearer. Let me encourage you. Christian friends. uh, He either bears. All of your sins. Or he bears none of your sins. And I want you to think about that. Brothers and sisters in Christ. If he bears any of your sins. He bears all of them. He doesn't just take some. And leave you with the rest. He bears all. All of our sins. He has taken our sins. Past. Present. And future. On his own body. On that tree. Christian friend. There may be past sins that come back and haunt you. Things you think of. And you wonder. How can I make up for that? How can I atone for that? Well friends I want you to think. That 
the curse of those sins and the guilt of that sin is on Christ if you're trusting in him. It was put on him, on his body, when he was hanged on that tree, when he became the curse of God. And it is finished. It is done. It has been born and it has been taken away. Your present sins are the same and even all future sins. Now we'll see later on, that's not an excuse to sin. Oh, well, he's taken it. I can do what I like. No, but friends, if he bears any of your sins, he bears all of them. Full forgiveness. But friends, it equally means, uh, we have to think, those who aren't elect, it means he bore none of their sins. None of their sins. Uh, He didn't bear just some sins for everyone. That's the Arminian gospel, that Jesus died for everyone equally. And then we have to just choose him ourselves, that we have to elect him. No, if he's elected someone to everlasting life, Jesus died for all of their sins and bore all of their sins. And he bore no sin for anyone else. But friends, we don't have marks in our head to say whether we're elect or not. But what we do have is the command of the gospel to repent and to believe, to come to Christ and to see for yourself, to trust in him, to have your sins taken away. But the Lord Jesus Christ this day can give you the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. It's only by Christ and only by his wounds are you healed. Amen. Let's pray.